listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. Today, August the 11th, I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and on today's show, we've got a fantastic round table comprised of three brilliant baseball minds. The Blue Jays acquitted themselves brilliantly in beating the Yankees 4 to nothing on Thursday night, and what was particularly inspiring about this victory was that the team is clearly demonstrating that even after horrible blowout losses that leave us all frustrated beyond belief, they have what it takes, whether it's the fortitude, whether it's the magical baseball, gold dust, I'm not sure. Marco Estrada in particular was magnificent, returning to his 2016 form. His last four starts have been the kinds of starts that resemble the picture that he was during the last couple of years rather than the first half of the season. I'm still shuddering at the thought of his nine-and-a-half ERA in June. And as a result of his great performance, the Blue Jays took two out of three against the team that they'll be facing six more times before October. And this is relevant because the Yankees currently sit ahead in the standings in the first wildcard slot. And with the Blue Jays being four games back of the second wildcard position with 48 to play, needless to say, skeptical and downright cynical that some of you have been there's no denying that there's a reason why you play an entire baseball season. And when you've got half of your teams left in the schedule against your division rivals and teams ahead of you in the standings, needless to say, the challenge is there. Is it likely to happen? Probably not. This is a, a real mountain to climb in baseball terms. Until the last out is made on the regular season, anything is possible for a baseball team as long as it has wild card positions available in this game. And I'll tell you, as a purist of the game who never really liked the idea of giving more teams an opportunity to compete in the postseason, for teams like the Blue Jays, who are struggling mightily in a year that a lot was expected of them, this is certainly a reason for fans to keep coming out, standing behind their team, especially those of you with this team from day one, to see whether or not they have what it takes to stand by their team, see if they can make it to the line, and maybe, maybe just surprise some of the biggest naysayers variants that we've seen this year, which hasn't stopped from day one, really. This team was criticized mightily for its moves. It was disparaged for the way that it played the game in April, especially the way that it played the game in June and July. And considering the amount of injuries, the player regression, and the underachievement that's happened this year, I think it's absolutely remarkable beyond belief that they could be four games from making it to the postseason with nearly two months left to play in this season. So let's get our roundtable rolling this evening. My guests on the show are Sportsnet contributor and writer Dow Steeb, minor league guru and writer at Jay's Journal, Craig Borden, and also the site expert from Jay's Journal and Norm from Cheers equivalent, Chris Henderson. Craig, I'm going to start with you. Taylor Cole, Nick Tepish, Rob Ref Snyder, Norichiki Aoki, and Cesar Valdez. Is this what you had in mind for August baseball in Toronto when the season began? And what make of all these injuries this year? Um, as far as the, what to make with all the injuries and everything, I, it's a microcosm. We went from being perfect last year and having, you know, the same pretty much five, six pitchers pitching the whole season to having the perfect storm of terrible, ungodly amount of injuries this season. As far as it's going to be this bad, I never would have a million years guessed that you were going to only get a half a season out of Josh Donaldson, that Aaron Sanchez was going to be perennially on the disabled list. Never would have imagined. The untalented pitcher like him just having a blister issue with whatever the hell is going on with the baseballs and all this other stuff just is mind-boggling from a baseball aspect. And as far as the youngsters, 
Cesar Valdez, I'm not terribly surprised that he's been having a rough go on it. I was very, very impressed with his first start, and he was doing really well for the Buffalo Bisons before he got the call, so I wasn't terribly mm-hmm. surprised by that move when it happened. As far as the Taylor Cole, uh, Nick Tapish stuff last night, I think Taylor Cole got a bum rap <laughs> as far as things go. He was keeping the ball down, but the Yankees were doing a good ball, good job of squaring him up. And a lot of it was um, how many of them were bleeding through the infield. Do you guys remember watching the game last night in the late innings if you hung around? Yeah. I just couldn't believe how many of them went straight up the middle. The one mm-hmm. hit him. You know, it was just perennially awful like that. It just couldn't. It kept going and going and going. And he's not a bad pitcher. I've always seen him as a guy that's eventually going to be maybe following the Ryan Tapera mold as following the bullpen idea. But he's got usually has good movement in the minor leagues on his pitches. And I don't know what was the Yankees got into last night, but they they were all over him. It's got to be tough for a youngster to step into that type of scenario, especially when he's making his major league debut and, you know, the kind of, that kind of thing just snowballs as well. You know, you get the first hit against you, you give up and get in tr- get yourself in a little bit of trouble. And it was nice, you know, I know Gibby was trying to avoid using Danny Barnes last night, but it was good that they got him out of there uh, when they did, just so they didn't completely tarnish the poor kid for, for future opportunities. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, he did make some nice pitches last night, and, and I had a, a moment where I was pretty impressed with what he did. I, I can't remember who it was that he struck out, but I thought, wow, that's a really nice pitch. And then, again, Aaron it, Judge. It's, it's, yeah, no, exactly, yeah. And then uh, and then there were a couple where they he just got, uh, left them up enough and, and enough of the plate, and they – Kind of went through that uh, that hole between uh, short and third a couple times. So, you know, I mean, it's one outing um, and and it's just bad luck. And and going back to the 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 start of the conversation, I mean, the Blue Jays have had really good luck with health over the past two years, um, and uh, being healthy is what I think really helped them to to get into the playoffs those two years. If this is a healthy team this year, I think it's uh, eminently possible that the Blue Jays are sitting in a in a wild card spot right now. If you look at just how tight things are, and and what a difference having say a, a full season of uh, of Aaron Sanchez and 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 maybe even just you know uh, as expected injuries from Troy mm-hmm. Tulowitzki or, or or what have you. So uh, you know, uh, it's, it's I mean it's sometimes health is a skill. Uh, sometimes not stepping on the side of a first baseman's uh, cleat is a is a skill, I suppose. But um, it's bad luck, and and I think that's something you kind of have to keep in mind. Uh, not to a hundred percent explain why this season has gone off the rails, but it's an aspect of it, and and something to keep in mind as you're looking ahead. Well, and speaking of bad luck, I was just kind of taking a quick. Uh peek at Twitter here just as, as you were talking and uh, Taylor just got placed on the 10 day DL with the toe with his uh, sure bad toe is. there so Chris Smith sure. Chris Smith has been recalled now too so there we go there's another guy landing on the DL yeah and I'm trying to remember now of course now it's all coming clear because he did he did take a a, a liner off his foot That's and right. I don't remember if, if he started if things started to go off the rails after that but I guess now we can point to it and say well he was he was pitching on a a broken uh, a broken toe, uh, so maybe that explains something. 
Yeah, I don't think things went too much off the rail than they were already when that happened as far as things go, though. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, the, the biggest cake. problem with last night's game was the, work, the bullpen has been overworked, and you brought these couple guys in to, you know, quote-unquote eat up innings, and we couldn't get them to eat up innings. You, they were trying, like you guys were saying, to rest Danny Barnes for the night, and they ended up having to go to him anyway. But, and by that point, when we were only down by one run, and I believe the sixth inning, it just you had nobody else out there that you could throw out. He already went through. J.P. Howell would want at that, and so on and so forth. And next thing you know, your Taylor Cole's the only guy you left as far as to eat up the next three innings of the game. And isn't it sort of you know odd considering the way that uh, what or, or one of the pieces of praise that people always put on Gibby was this idea that he didn't. Uh, needlessly overwork his relievers in the bullpen. He didn't, you know, I guess I think uh, B.J. Ryan's line for it was uh, there were no dry humps in, in the bullpen. If, if you if you got up, you were going in. And it really feels this year to me like that's not at all the case. And, T- and Taylor Cole was up in, I don't know, the third, the fourth. Uh, he was up a couple times and up and down. And I, I, it seems to me like more more so than in any other season that I've seen, uh, uh, of Gibby's that he does have guys up and down often in the bullpen. I'm not sure if that's helping matters in terms of keeping the bullpen fresh. Well, I think we can all agree that the Biagini experiment or necessity because of what happened earlier in the year required him to start overusing certain pitchers, including Tepera. I read a stat somewhere that I think he's thrown the highest amount of pitches in relief this year. And now he finds himself faced with this real challenge. And I'm going to ask you this, uh, Dow. What is your perspective on these abnormal number of games where the club just gets blown out of the water time and time again? Why is that happening more, it seems, this year than it's ever happened in recent memory? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, again, not to go back sort of instinctively to to luck, but some of this I I think is kind of – a bit of bad luck, but it also, I, I think, speaks to the construction of the bullpen. And, you know, the the fact that I think after Roberto Osuna, the bullpen is really a lot of question marks. And I include mm-hmm. Tapera in that. In spite of the the numbers that he's posted this year, I just I have not ever felt really confident in what Ryan Tapera is going to do out there. Um, and so... Uh, the fact that they've kind of had a bunch of guys uh, as sort of uh, anonymous, interchangeable guys who, once they get down by three runs, can't keep it at three and turn it into a nine-run deficit, um, you know, and, and guys who we may never see again, you know, I mean, like uh, the, the late lamented uh, Jeff Bellavo or, you know, uh, or, you know, I mean, Jason Grilly was great uh when he was great here but you know that's that's uh gone so i mean uh, you know it uh, it really challenges i think the the edges of the logic that you know bullpens are totally fungible and you can just uh grab a, a bunch of guys and hope for the best uh especially in your you know uh, uh, uh let's say three through eight or nine uh, slots in the bullpen. Um, I, I, I just, I do think that the, the Jays are going to have some work to do in terms of 
building their bullpen going forward and getting maybe a couple of additional premium arms uh, that will support whoever ends up being the closer going forward. I think it's funny you brought up Jeff Bellamo because last night in Buffalo, with the Buffalo Bisons game, he was actually part of the uh, five innings perfect for the bullpen, and he was one of the ones that threw two innings in that. And Chris Smith, I don't know, Murphy Smith got the uh, start in that one and only allowed one hit and one walk in his four innings. It was kind of impressive in the Buffalo Bisons view last night from pitching standpoint and they were able to squeak out the win too so now kevin pilar last night made a crucial base running blunder which you know for all intents and purposes took the momentum out of what should have been a big inning for this team chris given his performance this year on both sides of the diamond can you see this organization or should this organization be going in a different direction when it comes to their center field position funny you ask me that because I actually, maybe you planned that, but I actually uh, published an article this morning um, talking about that very thing. And uh, I've seen a lot of that kind of conversation happening, you know, more on Twitter than anywhere else. But a lot of fans just are frustrated with the way the season's gone in general and, you know, looking to point fingers in, at people and and looking at places that we can make changes. And so I can understand that for sure. Um, but, you know, as much as he struggled and as much as I think we're maybe sealing seeing a bit of an offensive ceiling from the guy uh, he's still been he's still been very worthwhile uh, to have on the roster you know at uh, I was taking a look into that baseball reference this morning um, his uh, his offensive war is uh, positive 1.1 and his defensive is a positive 1.8 um, so which is surprising considering how much he's struggled uh, in a lot of ways but he's um, you know he's still making 555,000 he's going to be in his first year of arbitration next year so he maybe he'll make somewhere between two and three million I I'm just speculating. But um, I wouldn't move on from him yet if it was me, um, just because I think he provides a lot of value for a pretty reasonable salary. But uh, he's going to get more expensive, and he'll be a free agent by 2021. So I don't know that uh, he's the type of guy that the Blue Jays are going to sign long term, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily look to move on from him just yet. It were up to me. I tend to agree with you, Chris. He's just too cheap, and he is easily one of the best best, best defensive center fielders in all of baseball. So you add that, and if he's doing like he what he's doing right now, he just needs to find a way to be more productive as far as hits go. I think he, I saw he only had like 20, 30 RBIs for the season or something. Am I wrong, gentlemen? He's got 25 RBI. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he got half of those probably in the month of April and May when he was on fire. So I'm not sure what he's drove in lately, but regardless, I think he's still the guy and I think he's also one of the ones that's suffering from having people hit around him too if you can't there's nobody to drive in if there's nobody on base yeah I think the stats is something like um, nine for 80 or something with with runners on base so that's been his biggest problem this year I think his batting average and I may not have had the numbers right there but his batting average with runners in the scoring position um, was one uh, 113 so far this season Either so if way, there's a, a yeah if, if he uh, yeah exactly I mean, if there's an area that he's letting us down uh, as a fan base, it'd be with runners on scoring, you know, with runners in scoring position for sure. And uh, that's something that he needs certainly needs to improve if this team's going to be competitive. But, uh, again, I don't know that you're going to find an immediate solution that will help the outfield in 2018. Um, it's going it's to be cheap anyway. Yeah, you know, uh, what I would say is uh, Kevin Pillar next year is going to be 29 years old. Uh, he'll have more than 2,000 plate appearances uh, in the major leagues. 
you know, I don't like to be uh, to say, you know, well, we know what this guy is because obviously we have a shining example with someone like uh, Justin Smoke to say, okay, well, no, actually, people can find their game uh, at a point beyond which people thought that they might, but. Uh, I, I certainly don't think that the Blue Jays should be looking to commit to uh, Kevin Pillar in the long term. I think that at least in his first year of arbitration, he hopefully will not be uh, terribly expensive and would be worthwhile bringing back. But, you know, if Teoscar Hernandez uh, shows an ability to play center field reasonably well. Um, I don't think that the Blue Jays should hesitate to make Kevin Pillar uh, a fourth outfielder or a rotating uh, piece there. I mean, you know, he's, and I said this in my piece last week on Sportsnet that, you know, Peter Borges was a, was a great fielder as well. And, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of bounced around and is now kind of in that, uh, in that bench and, and uh, fourth outfielder role with the Rays. So, you know, I, I, I think that's maybe where Pilar could be ending up because his, his approach with runners it, uh, gets worse. And I think that it is an over-eagerness to attempt to put a ball in play. And I think that, that, uh, that uh, pitchers are having their way with him as a result. Yeah, I just, I'm going to tend to agree with both of you guys, but my big thing is one way or the other for the next two seasons, unless you go out on the free agent market, who are you really going to put in there? You're not expecting Anthony Alford to come all of a sudden and, you know, be the next best thing in baseball, are, are you? <laughs> Maybe you are, but I'm the one that gets to watch him as a Fisher Cat all the time on MLB TV. But um, I just, you know, he's a few years off, just like a lot of our, you know, young talent is. And, I just figure if you're going to have Kevin Pillar in the outfield for another couple of years because of, you know, arbitration eligibility and everything like that, that you just keep trucking him out there and he can teach these guys how to roam that outfield, which he clearly knows how to do in the Rogers center. Yeah. And I agree with you, Dow. I think, uh, Teoscar Hernandez is pretty, pretty much the only guy that could threaten him in the immediate term. Um, I think Alfred's a guy that could be a solution in a, in a year or two from now, potentially, um, or who knows what else the Blue Jays have in store. But, uh, I think for the short term, I, I'd be surprised if Jays moved on. Aaron Judge, he's cooled off his torrid rate, uh, record-breaking pace. Um, I think he's hitting under 180 in the second half. This is a great segue because we're talking about talent, young talent, prospects. You know, Gary Sanchez, also on the Yankees, went from being a, a fire starter to basically a wet blanket. He's got 11 pass balls, 12 errors, which for a catcher, it really gets magnified because that's your quarterback who controls the, the defense um, it's never simple or easy with young players. Um, let me ask you, Dow, should we throw caution to the wind when expecting what we call can't-miss prospects like Bichette and Guerrero, thinking that they'll just save the day? And what happens if they don't? What happens if in 19 or when we anticipate that they'll take over for a Tillowitzki or a Donaldson that they end up stumbling the way, say, Carlos Delgado did in his first couple of years or Roy Halladay? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I, I I think that um, that Bichette and and Guerrero are are very different sort of prospects than we have than we have seen in in, in quite some time. Uh, you're you're right that you know Halliday and and Delgado had their challenges to start their career and and uh, maybe that'll uh, that'll end up being something similar uh, that happens with them. Um, 
But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm all in favor of uh, getting those guys uh, to the big leagues, you know, as soon as is reasonable, uh, you know, and, and giving them the opportunity to, to, uh, to adjust to that sort of level of play. Um, because I don't think the players get better uh, by continuing to play at levels that they can, uh, where they, uh, where they uh, are able to dominate. So uh, now in terms of what it means for the team going forward, uh, you know, I think that you still need to make sure that you have some other foundation beyond those players that is that is able to be a front uh, a front line, uh, you know, central role player for you. And you know, whether if that maybe emphasizes the importance of a guy like Donaldson and, and creates a rationale for why maybe you would try to to extend him or even maybe buy out uh, a, a few of his uh, free agent years. I mean, he would have no reason to do that. But um, again, I, I, I think uh, there's, there's something really, really interesting, really compelling about these two prospects. And I think that, um, uh, that uh, we shouldn't necessarily approach them with, uh, with, too much skepticism. I tend to agree with you. As far as it goes, this is a question of depth. If you can't keep somebody around like Donaldson or like you were saying, a veteran of presence, um, you got to hope that if one of those two guys falls and they're both still hanging around in the infield, luckily at least they filled in a little bit with those guys in the draft because I would think that Logan Mortmas being a little bit older and a college player that he might hit the same time as those you know high school guys, the Boba shots and uh, Vlad Guerrero's, you might have a, a sudden influx of guys that are, you know, dancing on that AAA MLB line that hopefully that there's a, you know, a nice position battle that we can actually have with some of these guys. Hopefully you do take, you know, we all get the, uh, the pending coming of uh, Vlad Guerrero and Boba Shet is the way everybody keeps imagining it is, but it's, these guys are prospects. They got to be handled as such, and they're, I keep saying to everybody, regardless of who it is, some guys are prospects and they stay prospects, and you never get them out of that limbo. Yeah, for me, with those two guys in particular, I think you can, barring injury, or I mean, you know, we've seen it happen with prospects where we thought they were going to be stars and it didn't happen. The first guy that comes to mind is, for me is Travis Snyder. But for me, I think oh, yeah. the biggest thing for the Jays to keep in mind with both of these guys is I don't know that either of them have a truly set position yet. You know, like they've talked about whether or not Vlad Guerrero will stick at third base or whether he'll end up in, in a corner outfield or at first base. And I've heard talk of Bichette, um, you know, he's played shortstop, but whether or not he can actually stick there or if he ends up being second baseman. So I think the Blue Jays, they can certainly bank on the fact that they've got some elite prospects in their system, but I don't think that they can say, okay, well, we can't, we don't have to renew Donaldson, and we don't have to even like look at that because we have our third baseman coming in two years. I don't know that they can guarantee that necessarily. They should be able to be pretty confident that they've got a couple of elite hitters, and uh, from there we'll see how they develop on the defensive side of the ball as they continue to progress. I think that uh, you know, with the, with these two guys, like. And- and add to that warm up and add to that Guriel, who I think is really starting to turn a corner. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's less about putting all of the emphasis on the one or two guys and, and more about 
trying to see if you have multiple players who are ready to graduate simultaneously because that's where it really feels like some of these teams uh, start to emerge. You know, if you look at the Astros, part of what has been a key to their success has been the fact that you have had, you know, a Correa and Altuve and Springer and uh, and I'm forgetting someone obvious here, but uh, but to have them all uh, come up, Bregman uh, as well, uh, to all come up within a, a, a the space of a couple of years of each other. I mean, that's that's what builds successful franchises. And uh, the other side of this is that the free agent ranks, um, you know, aside from a couple of high-end players, looks pretty thin over the next couple of years. So that's not the way that I think the Blue Jays are ultimately going to find success. One thing or the other, at least hopefully it looks like we may actually get a catcher out of our minor league system, or am I the only one that can only remember Ernie Witt's the only guy we actually brought all the way through our our system? <laughs> There's no Charlie O'Briens and <laughs> Terrence Fletchers and all those kind of guys. I love all those guys, but it's nice to see that we actually have a plethora of young talent in the system where over the millennium years there and the turn of the century, it was a little rough as far as there was only so many guys we got excited about in the minor leagues. You know, like uh, Chris said, Travis Snyder being one, we all thought Eric Thames was going to be something way back when, and, you know, he's finally finding himself. There's a plethora of talent, and I think all of these guys are going to be dancing on that line right at the same time, and we are going to look a lot like the Houston Astros with a brand-new team of youngsters all of a sudden. The road to heartache is paved with catchers of the future. <laughs> well put. Was that Ken Huckabee quote, maybe? I, don't... <laughs> I, I think that's the kind of quote that inspires us to appreciate why an organization went out of their way to court and acquire Russell Barton, right? I mean, isn't that in essence what an organization is supposed to do when it understands that there's a deficiency in a, at a certain position? And I think fans are insatiable. Expect these highly touted prospects to end up being a treasure trove of opportunity, and sometimes it's fool's gold. And, and that was a great example, Chris, about Travis Snyder. You remember the hype associated with his um, arrival. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the pitcher who lived out of a van. Was it Daniel Norris? Um, yeah. You know, Sportsnet did a story on him trying to find these eclectic, esoteric prodigies who will come up and save the day. And so when you see someone like a Russell Martin getting overpaid, you understand that you can't organizationally develop the talent. Sometimes you have to go out and acquire it. So let me ask you this, Craig, you know, I've been beating the investment drum. I keep talking on the show every day about the importance of investing in this product. Are you effectively agreeing then that this organization should really go out of their, their way to spend in 2018 to bridge the gap for when these young high school prospects become viable and take some of the pressure off them by finding players agency? I think that's the way free agency is for a good team, especially a team that may, you know, we're in that nice ballpark that we have some money, but we're not the Yankees. We're not the Red Sox. So you build this talent. You court it all to yourself. Do what you got to do. And then you go out to free agency and you pick up these pieces. And you saw what it's done with the trades and the uh, free agent signings and whatnot over the last few years. Yeah, we didn't have the best young core to be starting off with, but we did have something. And then they built that from that little tiny bit of foundation, knowing that Marcus Strom and Aaron Sanchez and all these guys were, you know, in the area. And then look at that. We got in the playoffs two years in a row with a couple big trades with acquiring Josh Donaldson with some of those good prospects. 
and then you went out and signed Russell Martin. Now you have that team leader for a position that we, for whatever reason, as a you know team since 1977, can't develop a catcher. I it, it just mind boggles me. <laughs> every team has every team has a position player that they develop themselves that they can say, hey, this is our guy that we developed ourselves for first base, second base, shortstop, pitching, for whatever reason. You know, like I said, I and honestly, I want to say Ernie Witt only spent so much time. Did he get drafted by the Blue Jays? I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. Yeah, I, did. I love watching him. I, I thought it was like 90% sure, but I was curious. But as far as things go, you know, we had the all the hype of Kevin Cash, uh, Ken Huckabee, all these guys over the years. It's just dumbfounding to me that, you know, we can't do that. But looking at the system right now, we actually looks like we might have some options. And Danny Jansen is apparently the closest one, and he was started the season in uh, single A with the Dundee and Blue Jays this year, and he's done nothing but rake at the plate all year. Whenever I think about catchers of the future, I think about the time uh, in the organization where we were carrying J.P. Arian Sibia, uh, Travis Darno, and Jan Gomes. And, and I remember the time, yeah, I remember the time fans and myself even lamenting that we had traded Gomes and Darno and. Uh, you know, Aaron Sibby was struggling defensively and didn't pan out as a as a catcher of the future. But you look at the, those other two guys. I mean, Darno struggled with injury; hasn't turned out the way that people thought he would either. And uh, Gomes missed most of last year. Last I I can't remember how he's doing this year. Maybe he's turned things around. But uh, it's not uh, until catchers kind of makes it at the big league level. I don't know if you can ever bank on them. Well, you know, the thing about about catchers is that uh, if they're any good, then they probably stop being catchers. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, you have your, your Craig Biggio types or, or whatnot, you know, if you're a good enough hitter, then chances are the teams are going to try and move you off of that. I mean, or that was the case with Bryce Harper as well. He, he was drafted initially as a catcher. And then eventually what sort of bubbles up to the top are the guys who are just good enough with the, with the bat and just good enough behind the plate to kind of stick there. So. It's a it, that's a kind of miserable position to to, to estimate. And just the other thing, um, uh, Ernie Witt was uh, drafted by the Blue Jays in the expansion draft from Boston. He was originally uh, uh, drafted by Boston and played his first games with them. Thanks for the fill-in on that one. I thought there was something caveat-wise to that. So let me ask you this, Dow: Which which starters would you like? If- GM, let's all put on our GM hat. And if you were the GM, which starters would you take out of the lineup to give maybe a young prospect a chance in August and September? Is there someone that you'd like to see maybe take a seat so that fans could appreciate a better baseball rather than what they've been seeing these days? Well, I, I mean, the obvious ones for me are are uh, to to get Teoscar Hernandez uh, starts. Um, in the major leagues, uh, and maybe that's in September. Uh, you know, the way that the the second wild card is going, I mean, it, it could take 83 wins to get a wild card. So who knows at what point they're going to feel like they're out of it. But uh, but certainly, Tay Oscar, uh, Anthony Alford, uh, I would like to see him again, and uh, and. Uh, and Lourdes Coriel, uh, I, I think that uh, especially given what's happening at second base for the Blue Jays, uh, the question is going to be whether or not if uh, a player like Coriel is ready to come up. And I guess maybe the 
the the secondary question to that is, you know, how much worse is he going to be than um, than Darwin Barney and and Ryan Goins, uh, at least uh, for a handful of starts down the stretch. Yeah, and you named the three names that came to mind for me too, and I agree on Guriel completely. I think, uh, you know, especially just looking at the keystone questions for next year, whether you know whether or not we can find whether or not Devin Travis returns to second base. There's been some rumblings that maybe they'll consider position change, um, but whether or not he and Tulowitzki can ever stay healthy for an entire year, I'd love to see a guy like Guriel um, be an option to to potentially step in and start next year. So I'd love to see him get a chance down the stretch this year and kind of see how he adapts and get a really good evaluation for where he's at in his development. I, honestly, I love the guys that you guys are picking, but I'm just starting to wonder if they, if we are going to keep having this dumpster dumpster fire of starting pitching, if we just start bringing up the kids from the farm, give Brian Baraki a chance, give you know Chris Riley a chance, give Sean Reed Foley a chance, just let them all go, even if it's one start each. <laughs> it's, if if we're going to have Cesar Valdez pitching every five days, I just figure why not bring up somebody you think might actually have a future. Um but then the next flip side of that coin, I'm wondering if you bring up somebody like Danny Jansen to help catch. He's helped catch all those guys. And he's been doing nothing but rake all year at the plate. Is he worth giving a shot to? He, for the season, he's banged 326 between three different levels. And so far in four games for the Bisons, he's batting 417. So I would love to see some of these options possibly come into play just with all the terribleness that we're having in starting pitching. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree on, on Jansen as well. I think, uh, especially to given, uh, what's been happening with that backup catcher position this year, the, the, the fact that, you know, I, I think that we've gone through almost as many backup catchers as we've gone through, um, uh, gone through, uh, starters at this point, uh, starting pitchers. Um, yeah, Steve, I think uh, during the broadcast last night, they actually said we used seven different catchers this year. That that right there should just tell you that something's not right. <laughs> and this is even with uh, – Ari's going to love this one. This is even with, uh, you know, Russell Martin starting how many games at third base? Oh, boy. Well, you all know how I felt about that. I think I went back and forth on a couple of tweets with Dow, Russell Martin at third and kind of – wondering, you know, whether you know you've gone insane when you've got to start tinkering like that. Because I'm all for doing something for a one-off, but this is just those years where Murphy's Law has stayed firmly fixed, uh, you know, on with every single game and every experience. John Gibbons, Pete Walker, Brooke Jacoby, they presided over what's been, you know, a couple of years of success and now a really mediocre year of diminished expectations. Chris, would you consider changing this coaching staff for 2018? Otherwise, how would you justify to the fans to hold on to them in a year that you claim to be both competing and rebuilding? Help me. I want to hear everyone's opinion on this. What are your thoughts about this coaching staff and how they've done in this year? It's tough to say how much you can point at the, at the coaching staff. I mean, I think if anyone... For me, if anyone was going to potentially be on the bubble, it might be Brooke Jacoby, just because the hitting has been so disappointing. Um, just you know, with the exception of Justin Smoke, uh, for the most part, everybody's had a disappointing season. So it's been uh, it's been a surprise. But that all of that said, all, all of these coaches were extended; um, their contracts were extended. I, forgive me if I'm thinking of the wrong timeline, but I think it was six to eight weeks ago. 
So um, they've all been, you know, Pete Walker, Brooks Jacoby, these guys have all been extended to the same timeline as John Gibbons. Um, and I don't think that there's going to be any changes in the coaching staff over the course of the year. They may have to explain that a little bit to the fan base, but ultimately the fans uh, only have so much of an understanding about how much the coaching staff affects the team. And, and I think that just the fact that the front office is already committed to these guys uh, for an extension, I don't, I can't imagine there being any changes, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I could, I, you know, I could see them potentially taking a look at the at the on-field staff. Um, you know, the fact that they did uh, that they did give those extensions and and gave Gibby the extension at the outset of the season. Uh, you know, I I think that that probably is a is a better indicator that um, they're they're ready to go at least one more season with these guys. I mean, you know, it seems like the the backup uh, or that secondary uh hitting coach that uh teams tend to uh tend to employ these days is is usually one of the first people to walk the plank um you know you could see some stuff on on sort of the the outside uh but i i would imagine that the that most of these guys would would be back next year um uh but having said that i think that with this year's results next year uh, they will be on the shortest, uh, uh, the shortest of leashes, and and I would assume that we will be back into a discussion uh, in terms of uh, what all of their futures are, right up to uh, John Gibbons. I'm going to offer this point of view as far as the things go. If you are full on saying that this season was not because of the players that we had on the team, not because of the uh, management going on in the dugout or anything like that, but with all these microcosms of the perfect storm of not being able to hit with runners in scoring position, mm-hmm. all the injuries, the fact that we've had a revolving door in certain positions all through the year, signing those coaches back up is a bold statement saying that, hey, we were supposed to keep competing this year. This is an anomaly. We're going to run with everything we had this year. And honestly, some of the players might appreciate that, that they get to keep the same coaches and not have to deal with anything changing too much going into spring training. My one offer is that they might, I, was it, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it Pat Hankin that was knocking on the door saying, I would love to work for the Blue Jays again at the beginning of the season? Halliday was interested in doing something with the organization. Okay. And he ended I thought up I read some headline that Pat Hankin was also in the midst of that. I distinctively remember the Roy Holiday part. And then the Phillies swiped them up for like all of spring training. So I don't know what happened in the midst of that, but and and then all that. If you got guys that are talented like that that are also knocking on the door, door, going, "Hey, I would like a job," is that where you do have that influx in the office? And maybe when like the short leash idea, those are the guys that would be all of a sudden sliding in. I know Pat Hankin was the bullpen coach for Gibby not terribly long ago. Don't you find it strange though for a franchise that occasionally dips into the free agent pool and goes out and gets a prime time player? And we've had a couple of historical signings. I mean, when Clemens came over in the 90s, that was uh, a mold breaker. No one saw that acquisition happening. And then when they went out and grabbed Frank Thomas and then also considered getting players like uh, B.J. Ryan, uh, Randy Myers, there was always these attempts at getting players that were regarded as the best of what they do. I want to ask you this, Craig, to start, why haven't we applied that with managers? Because if you think about it, in the last 10, 15 years, you know, Tim Johnson, and actually it's longer than that. I just aged myself. But if you think about it, this is a history of Tim Johnson, Jim Fregosi, Carlos Tosca, 
John Gibbons, not once, but twice. It's not like, you know, Buck Martinez. It's not like this franchise goes out and gets high-caliber managers. Why is that? Don't we deserve that being the fourth market with the highest attendance in the league? Shouldn't we have a Joe Madden or a Joe... Yeah, Ari, I tend to agree with you. But as far as things go, um, that, <laughs> if we're homegrown talent, we've definitely homegrown some good managers, right? <laughs> Zito was the man, and he was our own guy that we brought up, you know. And, Mm-hmm. That was one of the exceptions, obviously. But um, as far as things go, um, I was honestly I, – I didn't mind so much that we brought John Gibbons back, but the people in the midst of the John Farrell nonsense that we had going on, mm-hmm. how did we look over Sandy Alomar Jr.? And I just, the fact that he's only a first-base coach is still mind-boggling to me. This is one of the smartest catchers of the 90s era and was – a perennial solid hitter, period. And he took the, uh, the Indians pitching staff that was arguably average and helped them get to the World Series in the 90s. So there's there's guys out there like that that I'm surprised that we haven't taken the risk on over the years. That, and it was chalked up due to lack of experience at the manager position that I'm surprised that we never took a bigger risk on. I was a big proponent of uh, Sandy Alomar Jr. at the time. Um, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. He he hasn't seemed to have gotten a, a, another look uh, over the last couple of years, and I don't know if whether if uh, Cleveland's success over the past two years, if any of that shine uh, will rub off on him. He's still the first base coach there. Um, uh, you know, a, a guy internally uh, with the Blue Jays, who I think will be interesting to see how baseball treats him is is Tim Leeper, who, you know, has a, a lot of minor league uh, experience. And, you know, we if you look at some of the the people who would be candidates for manager of the year this year, well, it's a former Blue Jays first base coach in uh, Tori Lavolo uh, in, uh, in Arizona, who I think has really made a, a significant impact there. So I, I would be interested to see whether or not if there might be some other teams who would come calling uh, in the next year or so for someone like uh, Tim Leeper as a, as potentially a bench coach uh, at going towards a, a manager position within the next five years. Yeah, for me, the way that the baseball has just changed with regards to, man- to managers has been a significant factor, I think. You know, it's it was used to be that you wanted to hire the guy that was the most experienced or that, uh, you know, had the most titles or whatever the case may be. But last few years, it seemed like, you know, hiring a catcher has been a trendy thing to do or hiring younger guys. You know, Kevin Cash was hired when he was not even 40 years old. And that, there's been a few examples like that. Mike Matheny, um, you know, and it just uh, there's different trends in baseball. Um, the Blue Jays kind of seems have always been a franchise has been a little bit hung up on nostalgia in my mind. Um, but, uh, you know, with, as far as bringing Gibbons back, that was a call that I think Alex Anthopoulos knew that he was on his last legs. And, um, and I felt like he just went with who he was most comfortable there. So it'll be interesting to see who, when, you know, eventually that change comes, it, it will, you know, Gibbons isn't going to be here forever. So someday we'll see the next guy and, uh, whether that's Atkins and Spiro's decision, it'll be interesting to see who they decide or what kind of model they just choose to go with. In all honesty, I actually like the Tim Leapier idea or even Devon White's the hitting coach for the Buffalo Bisons right now. There's, a, there's Like I was just saying, there's good guys out there. 
And of course, uh, Devon and I are going back and forth as I try to get him on the show, so I can ask him that question personally because uh, that would be uh, that would be a great story for him to come back to the organization at the highest level. Gentlemen, this is the part of the show where uh, I tell you it's been a slice, and we do some shameless plugs. So let's start with Chris, and then Craig, and then Dow. Uh, talk about what you're working on and how my listeners can find you on the web. If you check us out at uh, jaysjournal.com, you'll find these podcasts and you'll find my work as well as a, a bunch of other articles from a great stable of writers that we've got at the journal. Um, if you check me out it's on Twitter, I'm at Baseball4Brains. So it's Baseball number four and Brains. And uh, I'm going to be taking a look at um, just the future of the Keystone in Toronto um, in 2018 and going forward. And that'll be something that I'll be looking to post on Friday. All right, I'm disappointed. You didn't let me get the last word in this time. No, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> Denied. Anyway, um, you can find me at jaysjournal.com as well. I am the Meyer League guru, as Ari has aptly titled me. Um, I am trying to get something going on my Twitter account as far as things go. Uh, I'm trying to do a quick condensed, hey, this is what happened in the Blue Jays system each day. Uh, we did the first episode last night, during the, and I did it on our Meyer League recap this morning, and it's going to be on my Twitter account is the cheap seats fast cast, meaning I'm in the cheapest seat possible sitting in my living room talking about baseball. And these are going to be quick, maybe five minute at the most audio clips that you can find on Anchor as well. Um, also, I'm still going to be your minor league writer at jaysjournal.com, and we are going to be continuing to wrap up this little season here before all the big September call-ups, and we'll talk, go from there. So I guess that gives me uh, at least, the, the last word or, or potentially the second last word to Ari, but I'll penultimate, uh, penultimate say word, yes. penultimate. Exactly. Uh, so you can find me most often tweeting about uh, my particular eating habits and, uh, and uh, wardrobe <laughs> choices uh, on Twitter. Dow of Steve uh, is the handle. And uh, every Friday I have a piece at sportsnet.ca. You've been listening to the Jays Journal Podcast Roundtable with Chris Henderson, Craig Borden, and Dow Steve. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure and hope to have you on the show again soon. Thanks, Ari. Always, sir. Thank you.